0: Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with Kansas City-born New York-based jazz musician and educator Drew Williams. He spoke at length about his 2019 CD Hazel with his Wing Walker Orchestra. He was born in Lee Summit, Missouri, and it was at 15 that he knew that he wanted to pursue music as a career. Ben Allison's Little Things Run the World CD helped him get won over by the jazz, and he would move on to study classical saxophone at Missouri's Truman State University, then move on to New York University in their master's program. He's been there ever since, and he's got great stories, so dig it.
1: Drew, thanks for taking a minute out for me jazz. I appreciate it.
2: Yeah, thanks so much.
1: So I want to go ahead and start off with your latest album, Hazel. It's been getting some really good ink, really good reviews. So I want to know from you, not only how you feel about this release, but what the artistic vision for this was.
2: Yeah, that's a good question. Hazel is my first album. And I think, like most people with their first album, I sort of feel like this is thing i have been working on for, like, my entire life, <laughs> which is sort of <laughs> uh, surreal in a way. Um, it's actually kind of daunting now that it's out and finally released because... Now you got to figure out what comes next. I think I understand why sophomore films happen. So this band, Ringwalker Orchestra, started as sort of just like a, a conceptual idea. I was taking lessons with Alan Ferber, and Alan Ferber had a non And I was like, I want to learn how to compose for more people, for nine people. And so I started lessons with Alan and, and writing music for non and immediately just loved it so much. It was really... Exciting Anytime, I, I sort of feel like the more people that that play your music in one setting It, it just it, it makes it more and more exciting I guess and so nine sort of eventually morphed into 11 I wanted the extra brass players to kind of like beef up the sound a little bit Especially because we were playing sort of more Rock influenced music at, at different points and so having the extra instruments especially brass was very helpful just for volume and so Around the time we switched to 11, I started writing uh, Hazel Sweet, which is the whole first side of the album. And Hazel Sweet is uh, it, it's my sort of attempt to do uh, a film score for this graphic novel called Saga. And I was just getting into graphic novels at the time. I didn't know anything about them. I never read them at all in my whole life. One of my friends, actually, who's in the Kansas City band, making movies. Um, they were visiting me, and he, he gave me, he was like, Saga's the best thing I've ever read. You've got to check this out. And I read it, and I was just immediately blown away. I couldn't believe how many things it touched on uh, as far as like, the things that I, that I love. Like, the artwork was incredible. Um, the story was crazy. And also, it, it, was, it was funny, but in a way, like, like, it just spoke to me in a way that I, didn't, I couldn't even anticipate. I didn't know it was possible. And so I started writing music for that, and uh writing a suite, it sort of turned into, yeah, it's like a film score, but I was kind of relating it to the way that Duke Gallington would always write suites, like the Fari Suite in particular is one that I really, really love. It's very influential on me. And he would write this bulk of music, and it didn't always relate musically necessarily, but I think the way that he used it was like a way, um, obviously him and Billy Strayhorn, sort of just a way to focus his music, um, kind of make it so it's not just like a random album of random compositions. It gave it a little bit more uh, narrative push. And so with those two ideas, that's how Hazel Street came into existence, I guess. And then, then we recorded the album. Yeah, it's great. Right on.
1: So you have very clear Kansas City roots. You were born or raised in Summit. Talk to me about your childhood and what jazz got you hooked early on.
2: Yeah. So I think like most people, I, Lee's Summit is just a straight up suburb. (laughs) There's nothing in particular that's that's that special about Lee's Summit, I would say. Um, I, but I joined, like most people, I joined band in fifth grade and was just playing saxophone. I only played saxophone because my dad played saxophone for a year when he was in fifth grade and had one in our attic. And that was literally, there was no more thought into it than that. And, So I started playing in band and, you know, just concert band music. And in junior high, I started playing jazz band stuff, but I didn't know, you know, we weren't playing like super cool music, nothing like that. And then I got to high school and I joined the jazz band because I just immediately fell in love with the band and it was a community of people to kind of hang out with and I was pretty shy. And so that was a good uh, excuse to meet friends. And so we were playing charts, but we weren't, you know, we were playing some typical kind of like Count Basie charts, but. Also, a lot of kind of band directory charts, like, um, uh, you know, just kind of cut and paste, not that interesting Latin charts. And at the time, they seemed cool to me. I was like, this is great. I love it. But also, my teacher was kind of showing me, you know, just kind of the classics, giant steps, things like that. And so, I, I started to get into it, but I honestly didn't really play jazz music until I got to college, not seriously. Um, I was definitely a more classical musician. Uh, I was in, like, all-state, Missouri all-state band as a classical tenor um which is a very funny thing to brag about. But also, I uh, I was also playing in rock bands around that time a lot, too. So I was playing guitar very seriously. Like, I, I kind of wanted to go as a guitar player to Berkeley instead of going as a saxophone player. That seemed like a lot more fun, but my dad was like, we can't afford that at all, which turned out to be a good choice. So, so yeah, I didn't really start playing jazz until, like, I of college, honestly. Right on.
1: So... You went to New York to go to – where, where did you get your bachelor's?
2: I went to Truman State University, which is okay. a small little arts college in the middle of Missouri.
1: So did you get immersed in the Kansas City scene before you went to New York to get your master's?
2: No. So what, it, what, I, what happened – because I spent five years in Kirksville, and that's when I really fell in love with jazz music. I was, I was just obsessed with it. But by the time I kind of fell into that, there wasn't a jazz major at Truman, and so I, I have a classical saxophone degree. Um, But I was the whole time, just everyone knew that I wanted to be a jazz musician. And so I, you know, I met people, like I have a bunch of friends in Kansas City, like Brian Stever and Bill McKamey. And so we started playing gigs there occasionally. But honestly, like I didn't really play in Kansas City that much because I wasn't there that much. And then as soon as I graduated from Kirksville, my wife and I moved to New York City because I I got in. I went to NYU for grad school. And so I, I didn't really, you know, I played in Kansas City with my own bands, my own music. Ten times an that whole
1: When you get to New York City, is it a culture shock coming from a place like I mean, Kansas City's fairly sizable. Kurtzville's not, or
2: even where Truman State
1: is. Yeah. <laughs> so, was it was it quite a culture shock?
2: Sure. I mean, it, it was it was sort of different than I think what people. I mean, there's like the obvious kind of like TV show and movie stuff, and that that definitely existed for sure. But I think moving out here was sort of relearning how to do everything. I mean, part of that is that I was you know 23 and didn't know how to do anything yet and so you know like learning how to live without a car was was very strange um and just meeting all different people especially musicians was was really valuable nyu had a lot of uh students that were coming in from all sorts of countries like korea and netherlands and just all over the world they were coming into nyu and so immediately there was just uh different you know confluence of influences and and uh that was really incredible, but also kind of intense musically lot, just because people were coming at the music from such different places um that sometimes that led to like a little bit of um misunderstanding amongst people because like I really liked this crazy jazz music influenced by rock, and other people were really into you know really traditional music, and other people were really into you know It's just all different kind of places, and it leads to a lot of, you know, when you almost are the same thing, you're slightly different. That's usually where a lot of miscommunications and uh, tension lie, I guess. So, yeah, anyway, it was definitely a culture shock, but, yeah, I'm really thankful that I I went through with it. So
1: when you did start getting – when you got into New York and you started playing in the scene and got around big-time players, what have you learned? What have you learned about being in the biggest city in the world to play jazz? What have you learned about being around veterans that's helped you – Kind of charter your own career path.
2: Yeah, that's interesting. Um, you know, I, I definitely spent time hanging out with, with my my heroes, basically the people that I was obsessed obsessed with when I was living in Kirksville. Um, and and but I haven't played with them so much, and that's it's very purposeful. I'm sort of more interested in playing with my peers, and creating something that way. So, you know, like one of the the real, not the problems, but some of the pushback I've received on different, from different press outlets for Hazel is that we don't have any, you know, we don't have any ringers in here. We, did, we didn't hire Donnie McAdlin, who I know and I met, and he's the nicest guy of all time. I didn't pay a bunch of money to bring him in to take a couple solos on my album, because that feels a little disingenuous to me. I love him. He's great. You know, I'm not with him, And the people that are in my band are people that I'm friends with. not that you have to be friends with someone in your band, but <laughs> we developed this band over the course of five years, and we really spent time, and those people sacrificed. They gave up a lot to play my music because you just can't make that much money for any time you play with 11 people. It's kind of impossible. And so there's, uh, you know, the band, we really spent a lot of time uh, investing in this band sound, and over time it morphed into something that I think is really special. And I don't want, I don't think we need to bring in some sort of a super professional intense musician to come play our music, you know, that, but I mean, just hanging out with those people, what I realize is just how good they are, how much better, you know, those better musicians, like, like they're so intensely good at their music and it's very inspiring and also very daunting, you know, to hear people like Don Henry Kassman and Richie Perry, who was my teacher, just play all the time. It was like, this is... So much better than anything I've ever heard before. And that's amazing. But yeah, also terrifying. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So what's your future look like? What are you looking at? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I definitely kind of planning on the next Ring Locker music. We have a, uh, a book of music that we're putting together. Uh, I've been working on uh, actually a composition book. We've been doing this clinic at colleges and high schools around the country where we go in and we write music with the kids in the moment and we do it in a way where there's there's uh no pressure it's really easy and sort of like shockingly easy so easy that the kids kind of don't trust what's happening um, and so we go and we help them write these pieces in the moment and we usually come up with a bunch of pieces right there and come up with a, a lot of really cool ideas and so I'm working on a book version of that right now which I'm that's I'm very excited about that it's sort of like what I wish I had when I was and then also I've been working a lot of the music I've been playing lately is uh, its I, I run my bass clarinet through a whole series of guitar effect pedals. And so I've been working on sort of uh, some solo music for that that it also includes a lot of, like, tape loops and things like that, too. So something to pare to sound from 11, you know, because, like, 11 is impossible.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Not in Spinal Tap. Um, no. So,
2: <laughs>
1: so let me ask you this. You know, one of the best educations we have are the live shows that we see. What was one of the first live jazz shows that you saw that really moved you? Huh,
2: that's interesting. In Kansas City, you know, I saw people, like we would go to see stuff at the Blue Room occasionally with our high school, but we didn't really see anything that um, that completely blew my mind that made me want to do it. I think when I was in college, that's when I started kind of traveling to Kansas City to see shows. You know, I saw Dave Douglas and Kurt Rosenwinkel and drove to St. Louis to see uh, Joshua Redman. But really the shows that I can think of that were the moment where I was like, this is what I want to do with my life. A couple times I drove to Chicago to see Ben Allison, who was a really big influence on me and my music, um, especially when I was at Truman. And So I got to go and hang out with those guys and take a lesson with Michael Blake, who's a saxophone player. There's all the green, which is also kind of just a really cool old, you know, I think kind of like formerly um, club. And um, I think just the atmosphere and the music and everything else was was so mind-blowing. And it was just exactly what I wanted to do with my life. And those were the moments where I think kind of shaped everything.
1: So you're, you've clearly dedicated your life to jazz. You moved to New York. You're in the middle of, of the thick of it all. Why do you love
2: jazz? That's a good question. I, you know, frankly, I don't know jazz is my, my first love. The thing that I love more than anything is is writing my music, playing my music, and like playing my friend's music. And jazz has been a big part of that. You know, improvisation is something that I really believe in. And instrumental music is something I really believe in. But first and foremost, I wouldn't... That's not the thing that made me a jazz musician. I think, like, when I first started hearing, you know, when I was hearing Charlie Parker for the first time, that didn't blow my mind. Now it does, obviously, because I know more about it. But just, it it was so uh, unlike the music that I was listening to in high school, it was hard for me to relate to it. And so later on when I was hearing musicians like Ben Allison, whose music sounded more like the music I was listening to in high school and the, the the rock bands and stuff that I was playing in, that sort of gave me a portal into jazz music where then I was able to go back and appreciate Charlie Parker and everything else. And so I think like at the end of the day, if you put a gun to my head and said you could only do one thing for the rest of your life, I would probably write music and I don't know, I wouldn't only write jazz music, you know? And so obviously there are things about jazz music that I just find incredible and improvisation in particular is is something that all my music has always had. I believe very strongly in that element, but yeah, I don't, yeah, again, I, you know, sometimes I sort of wonder, you know, I'm definitely making jazz music now, but I feel like I'm sort of uh, cheating on it at times if that makes sense.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no. Yeah, absolutely. So let me, let me get down to the crux of everything here. It's my final question for you and I want to know this. Everyone has a perception or an interpretation of who they think you are, your family, your friends, your fans, that you know yourself best. So tell me, who do you think you are?
2: You know, that's a really good question, especially now, because um, releasing this album, I've learned a lot, and I've learned a lot about how uh, how many misconceptions I have about myself. You know, like when we were in the studio for making this album, we spent I had a lot of ideas about how we were going to mix it and do these different things, like, like, I wanted to make the drum sound bad on purpose, which is a thing that a lot of bands do, but mostly rock bands. Jazz musicians don't do that so much. And so, like, we put a mic in the middle of the drum set and let it just sort on purpose, you know, stuff like that. And so I kept having these crazy ideas, which aren't that crazy from other worlds, but jazz music seemed crazy. And we just kept filling it up. We kept adding more. So there were all these drum overdubs and some clapping and some electronic sounds. And at some point in the process of doing that, I was like, this is way too much. Like, we're going to really just alienate everybody because we're going crazy, you know? It's like, this is just way over the top. And then we released the album, and, like, people don't even notice that stuff. And it's been, I was just like, I couldn't even believe it because I thought for sure, like, that line we had crossed so far ago. So right now, like, I don't really know, you know? Uh, The other thing is that I, I felt like this music was kind of, you know, it's, sort of fits in between these lines of jazz music and rock music and film music, et cetera. But when I released it, I think because it's just kind of 11 people and kind of a big band, everyone is just like, oh, it's a capital J jazz record. And I I couldn't believe it. I'm like, what do you, it feels like there's stuff coming from all over the place. And so, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is that my conception of myself has been maybe slightly off before this. And so, but more than anything else, like, I, I consider myself a composer. That's the thing in my life that I wanted to do when I was 14. And that's the thing that brings me the most joy musically, of anything I do in my life. When I play my own music, and it's just, just like a euphoric feeling about it, that it's sort of hard to, to uh, understand or replicate in almost any other thing that I do in my life. So I think, you know, yeah, that's, that's, I guess, how the main way I would define myself.
1: Right on. That's a great way to wrap everything up. Drew, thanks for talking about the new album. Thank you for talking about your roots in Kansas City and everything beyond. I appreciate
0: it. Hey, thank you so much. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in New York, Kansas City, and spots all over the globe, giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Drew for his time, his music, and his stories. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. Visit NeonJazz at YouTube.com, and for everything Neon Jazz, go to the NeonJazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends.
1: Neon Jazz.